like my escape, and it was an escape, is to try and just be good at things. And for no other reason, really, than to get validation from the outside world to like me. But I carried a lot of shame for a long time once I realized. I, I now forgive myself for this. I started lying, like, to make my life happier. Like, people would tell me, what's going on? I'm like, oh, she's just at home, you know, just chilling out. <laughs> and those lies started spilling into my work life. But I have built habits over the last kind of eight to 10 years, um, which have built a better structure for me to work within, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, these are things like um, recognizing signals. Labeling today's guest is quite a challenge. Chris Howard was in a band, tried to be a spy, has a PhD in physics, has taught at MIT, and is a reluctant founder, somebody who prefers the term creator. Chris talks to us about how he started building a business to fix his sick wife, and in the process, his marriage fell apart. He started behaving in ways that he now finds troubling and had to leave the company because his co-founder and board asked him to. What does it take for somebody to be kicked out of the business? How do you feel when you're being described as a wrecking ball? We learn from Chris how he ignored all the signals showing that something was off. The cognitive dissonance of dramatically losing weight, loved ones being concerned, and you still believing, I can do this. But it does not stop people from asking, are you right for a reason? We explore the difference between self-esteem and confidence and where to look for help to start looking for the more deeply rooted causes that affect the self-esteem. Chris has become academically obsessed with understanding the trauma at the source of it all and therapy, digging deep into understanding the causes for his behaviors is a big part of it. The biggest learning though is that signals are there for a reason and we must learn to recognize and acknowledge them, not ignoring them is paramount. Please meet Chris. This is Naked by the Future Farm, where entrepreneurship is stripped to its vulnerable core. Brought to you by Vladimir Kobrystinska and Nectarios Lolios. And remember to subscribe, follow, and rate Naked to help us share it with the world. Hello, everybody. Um, uh, hello, Chris. Hello, Vladi. Hey, Nectarius. Hi, Chris. Um, Good to see you. We we haven't had a guest episode in a while, so I'm super excited that we actually get to do to do this for for our our autumn season. Um, we usually start by just locating ourselves. Um, so I said, I'm at 6.43 where I am. I'm in Las Vegas at the moment. Uh, first time in my life that I am here. I've been here for three days and I'm hating every minute of it. I really don't understand why people like it. I find it overwhelmingly busy and loud and garish and in your face. Uh, but at the moment, I'm in the safe in the safety of my hotel room and I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> where are you, Chris? I am in the bottom of a little hut in the bottom of my garden, which I've turned into a music studio, um, in a town called Reading, which I think a lot of people have heard of, but nobody ever wants to be. Okay. <laughs> so, like, it's well known for a music festival and a train station or um, commuting into London. 
<laughs> so it's like it's I like the, the, the festival part though. I the festival's have, great yeah, when you're 16 and like um <laughs> everything else. Now Reading, I like to call it the Milton Keynes of the West. Um so it's like it's a city of convenience. So if you really love retail parks, industrial parks, if you want everything to be within 10 minutes, but always at best be seven out of ten. You come to Reading. That's that's where I am right now. Duh, I'm sorry, I'm shitting on it. No, it's quite it's quite a nice place. Um, I'm in Reading. Hi. <laughs> well, remember we have listeners from all around the world. So I was like, when you started using some of the local lingo, I was trying to imagine somebody in Pakistan being like, "Okay, how do I like where? What yeah. is this? What is Milton Keynes? What is Milton Keynes?" <laughs> Uh, but that's the beauty also, right? We bring the full diversity that we chatted about. Um, <laughs> so 6 a.m. in L.A. Um, and 6 p.m. in Karachi. Uh, not L.A. Mm. What am I talking about? Uh, same time zone. Yeah, same, yeah. Time same time zone. So, okay. So, yeah, Karachi it is. It's dark, but um, good period. Uh, I'm settling down. People you might remember. So... It's been the last few weeks been a bit crazy, but in a good way. Uh, I visited Tanzania for the very first time. Um, I think I was struck by the level of poverty, frankly, and that I'm saying as somebody who's been living for four years in Pakistan. Uh, mm. In some ways, it was like very into my eyes. and uh, But other than that, it's an absolutely stunning uh, country and beautiful people. So it was all good. And now... Staying for a week here, heading to Singapore next week. So I'm already like, am I on the wave of a small burnout here? You know what we talked mm. about many times on this podcast. But um, I know this is not supposed to be the, you know, this is about Chris today. But uh, I started with this small therapy as we always do. Um, but I think I'm all right. Uh, it's it's interesting how, and I know we are going to talk a lot about checking in with yourself, right? Also today in the conversation and and I feel like that's what I'm trying to do, even in those intense days, is just keep checking in, like, how how am I doing and uh, whilst living um, this intense period. So, hi, everybody from Karachi. I'm really excited to be back here. And um, as Nectaria said, after a while, and uh, Chris, I have many, many questions. So, I'm going <laughs> to pop there and see how we get into, into it. So, let's, let's keep... It's a pleasure having you. Let's keep, let's give some context. So Chris and I met before the pandemic. Uh, we were introduced actually by my old boss, by my very first boss in the UK called Shamia, who was a mentor in a program that Chris was running called The Rattle. Uh, but that's by the by. The interesting thing is that we sat down and I was just starting the future farm conversations. And one of the things I remember Chris said to me, oh, mental health. Um, yeah, so many stories to tell. Uh, and I thought, okay, record it, yeah, notes taken. And then we checked in a couple of times and there was a point, um, I think during the pandemic, we checked in on each other and it was like, oh, the pandemic has been really hard on me, but um, I don't think I'm ready to talk about it yet. And then recently, um, there was a post on LinkedIn that I thought, okay, if you now talk about you doing stuff because of your own mental health journey, I just need to come back to you and say, okay, um, and I want to hear that story. And then I realized that it's not just one story, it's multiple stories. So I'm super excited that you're actually being generous 
with us to share some of the things that you may have not spoken about publicly before. But you do make reference to some of these things um, on, on your posts. Um, but I'm, I will start with somewhere completely different, which is when we had our prep call, you were in the middle or at the beginning of a, a physical challenge, which was running a lot. And you had just found out that you might have broken something in your foot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have. A, yeah. So I'm, at this minute, I'm in my fourth week of trying to run 150 kilometers in 30 days with okay. a 30 kilometer run on day 30. Now, right. To put that in context, the most I've ever run in my life was to the shops, and so, and I've got I've got dad bod, and like so I'm one of the least fit people you'll probably um, ever come across, and I just I don't know why it was it. I still to this moment don't exactly know why I started doing it. I can post rationalize, of course, but I just keep putting myself back in the moment where I just. I just thought, I'm going to put this thing on LinkedIn and see what happens. And then the second I pressed post, I'm like, oh, shit, I've got to do it now. <laughs> mm. um, and, um, yeah, and, and I, I've been doing it. But the last kind of week and a bit, I, I really hurt my, my foot and I thought it was broken. But it's not. It's something called plantar fasciitis, which is uh, okay. not, it's not serious, but it's just painful. Um, and it kind of prevents me from running. So I've now flipped to cycling. So I've, um, I've basically tripled all of my targets just to take into account the difference. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm only just behind schedule. I am gonna go for a long cycle after this. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm doing. And my <laughs> foot hurts. Thank you for asking. <laughs> there is so much to dig in here. You know, like we could take this into pieces, but I'm going to see where Nectaris wants to take it before I do. And again, our listeners know now that we we chat a lot about a lot of different things and um, and that we usually have a bit of a conversation before we record. And we ended up having a conversation about what identity do show up with today in this conversation, in this context, in this meeting. Um, Chris, you have multiple identities. Right? <laughs> I mean, you're an academic as in you're, you're a brain person, you're an entrepreneur, you're a doer person, right? You've started so many different things and also very varied things. Like the rattle, I got excited because it was something to do with the music industry, which is one of my kind of passions. But you've also been doing all these other things. And at the moment, people can find you, how you review pitch decks online, which I think is hilarious. Um, um, but all of this comes with the roller coaster of somebody who starts things that either go well or don't go well. And, and I think when we first met and you said, oh, I've got all these stories to tell, it was very much led by talking about the things that didn't go well. Mm. Um, and when we had a prep conversation, um, you said you were talking about a particular phase when you were building a business and you were struggling with that. Um, so maybe we can start a little bit with you telling us a little bit about yourself and your own journey, but also sure. bringing in particularly the entrepreneurial uh, endeavors in your career. Um not not as a CV, but maybe the business yeah, that you were involved in when you, when things started going a bit weird. Like um, I'll be I'll be completely candid and say um, it's very rare. I feel I have an opportunity to like tell the story without trying to pitch at the same time. Like it's mm. a really unusual thing, at least for me over the last 12, 15 years since 
being a founder, whatever that means. Like you, you can't help but have half of your mind on, I must be seeking an opportunity after this, or I must leave a certain impression for someone to go away with. And so this for me is, I, I swear to you, is the very first time I'm turning every single bit of that off. Um, and I'm very consciously trying to turn it off as well, even if it's an ingrained habit. But um, yeah, I'd like to, to, to your point, I guess if I was to tell a very brief summary story without pitching, like, um, which is really hard, um, <laughs> is I guess like, I grew up in a working class family in Reading. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> and um, <laughs> so as I say, I'm back with grandparents. Um, grew up in a super working class family. My dad filled vending machines. My mum worked two jobs and was a full-time mum. And so... We, we lived on a council estate and when you live in that kind of area you you either become a bully or you become a geek there's no real in between and at the time I just bloody love Star Trek <laughs> can't, can't believe I just said that um and so I became a geek buried myself in my room learned to code played loads of instruments um all kinds of nerdy things thankfully I was really tall and, and reasonably big. So I never got really got picked on, but I, I was a nerd. Um, and so when I, when I grew up, I, ju- I just, I don't know what it was. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm very awkward. I know that. I'm very difficult socially, at least I used to be. I didn't know how to talk to people. Um, uh, I've got, I'm, I'm mildly on the spectrum. I know that for a fact. Um, and so I've, I found it very, very difficult to, um engage socially with people without coming across like a like a dick frankly Mm. and so I I threw myself like my escape and it was an escape is to try and just be good at things and for no other reason really than to get validation from the outside world to like me (laughs) it's so weird and I ever since like I've become a student of psychology so I can understand why now but um I didn't understand at the time you know, I was, I was seeking validation. I was seeking people to, you know, confirm that I was not a dick, basically. And so I, I learned to code. I learned to perform. I became a singer. I, I became like, a, I went on a reality TV food program. I did all kinds of stuff just mm-hmm. to seek validation. And I think throughout my late teens and mid, up to mid-20s, um, I was obsessed with seeking other people's approval. Um, and a byproduct of that, and it is a happy byproduct of that, I just became good at a few things. Like, I'm terrible at many things, but I became good at, at a few things. And um, when I look backwards, I'm like, oh, shit. I, well, I can't believe I did all those things. And I started now more recently, mm-hmm. and I still struggle with it, but started more recently self-validating instead of externally validating. Um, I still find it very hard, though. Um, but, yeah, so... Early 20s, I was in a band. We toured around a load of the UK. We played in front of tens of thousands of people. Um, I was on the first, it got to the last 25 of the first season of Gordon Ramsay's F Word. Uh, I went on a cycle mission all the way across Asia from Bangkok all the way up to Hanoi. Um, I also did my PhD in physics and psychology. Um, I tried to be a spy. That was funny. Uh, yeah, I can't talk much about that. Um, <laughs> then uh, 
oh, I just like threw myself into everything. Um, but yeah, it wasn't really until my late 20s mm. when I was at MIT. Um, and that's a story in and of itself. Like I, I wasn't picked to go to MIT. I happened to be in, living in Boston and I forced my way into MIT. Um, I, um, I got a, a, a part-time postdoc at MIT where I found my people, so to speak. You know, other people who buried themselves in their room when they were a kid, learned to code, learned to do whatever. They're very kind of seeking approval from the outside world. I found my people. And for the first time ever, I started actually focusing on what do I want to be when I grow up, so to speak. And that's when I discovered startups, basically. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'll stop there. That's that's mm-hmm. how I'm, that's how that came about. And and this was all like to like towards your sort of mid twenties, you were saying. Mid to late twenties, yeah. Okay. Okay. So I think yeah. we get yeah. a pretty good, <laughs> good sense there. Um, wow. But you know what? Like the way you talk about it right now, it's it's very beautiful. Like <laughs> it, it resonated with me personally a lot because I I work on my self validation or or the source of validation, right? Not to sort of uh, get it from the external sources, but really to look inwards. And I hear you. I mean, and I feel it's not easy at all. So the way how you sort of described it with this really sort of clear sense of awareness was, um, yeah, it resonated with me. So just wanted to point that out. No, I find this subject really fascinating for what it's worth. And a very a very brief aside is, is that like a lot of people confuse confidence with self-esteem. They're very mm-hmm. different things. Like confidence is actually an action. It's something you do. So when people talk to people and say, oh, you're so confident. I'm like, well, that's because I'm practicing confidence. Like I'm doing it. I am, I am being confident by my choices. And everyone, no matter what your self-esteem, can be confident. But self-esteem is your, opinion, is your self-created opinion of how the world perceives you. And that comes from all kinds of sources. And so somebody can, like myself, can have apparent high confidence, but my self-esteem could be really low and has been for a very long time. Um, and so like, it, I, I, find it, I find it hard sometimes when people... Mm-hmm a judge either whether it's I, I don't know you too well enough but I like you, you come across confidently to me and I imagine people say oh you're very confident well what's, what's the problem and I'm like well confidence isn't the problem or the solution it is just a thing like mm-hmm. it is self-esteem which is the mm-hmm. problem mm-hmm. and that's a, a combination of guilt validation shame mm-hmm. um uh, self-congratulatory behavior pride it's like all of those things go into self-esteem Mm. that's the thing that needs fixing not confidence mm. um so yeah like it feels like when you that. when you look you know you have a pot and when you open the confidence being at the top right that's what you see but then when you look inside that's the mess that's the yeah, mess like, one needs to work it's like on. saying wow you're a good runner it's like yeah. cool <laughs> you're a good confident person mm. they're just things they're things you do I agree with and, that. But I do want us to talk a little bit about your experience. Sure, I do sure. want us to talk a little bit about, just because we can then take that and go back to the confidence and the self-esteem and everything else that might come up. So you're somebody who reluctantly labels himself as an entrepreneur <laughs> or a founder. Um, tell us about the businesses you've built. Yeah, uh, sure. Um, so my the, the first company I attempted to, to kind of build or grow um, is called Laboo. 
Um, and that was born out of the research I, I was doing at the time at MIT around understanding who influences who in online settings and, and why. Mm. Um, and my co-founder or friend at the time, Richard Hawthorne and I, we, um, we just said, ah, um, we, we went through this um, small program at MIT called Nuts and Bolts. Um, and we thought, why don't we try turning this into a company? And um, we did, we tried. Uh, we raised lots of venture capital to essentially help authors, like writers of books, um, use this insight around who influences who and why um, to find who, frankly, who their super fans are and then use those relationships as alternatives to more traditional marketing. But I was, I was annoyingly good at fundraising and annoyingly good at pitching. And I didn't know that at the time, that basically we had a company live three years too long. Um, it should have stopped way sooner. But we raised loads of money, built a big team, had brilliant press and PR. And, you know, the world felt like at least that they loved us. But I totally crashed and burned it by um, just not listening to a customer, frankly. <laughs> I just couldn't find, um, couldn't find the people who were going to turn it from a small concept with a little bit of traction into a big business. And, but what was happening all the way through the side of building this first company was my first kind of big introduction to, holy shit, like mental health is a big deal, um, which I'll happily go into. But that was the first company, um, crashed and burned, because I just wasn't, I wasn't doing it right, frankly, and um, my home life was falling into pieces. Um, so I came out the back of that, and my co-founders spun out a new business from it. And that did very well, so good for them. I'm, I'm very, very proud of them and pleased for them for that. Um, I then spun out and became a founding managing partner of an accelerator called Mass Challenge, which is now fairly well known around the world. Oh, yeah. um, I was invited by John Hawthorne, um, a different John with almost exactly the same name as my co-founder of my first company, but different person. Um, he um, asked if I wanted to take Mass Challenge and build it around the world. And I was so grateful to him because it helped me reset my identity and reset my personal brand um, after what I felt was the utter failure of my first company. Um, and um, so I did that for a little bit, opened Mass Challenge in the UK, um, but I, at that time, wasn't ready to be an operator leader of a business. I just still wasn't mentally in the right place. Um, so I became something called a venture builder. I didn't know it at the time. Um, I would find just weird and wonderful, crazy human beings who have just made extraordinary things, but have frankly no real clue how good the thing is that they've made. Um, so these are like authors, comedians, um, psychologists, scientists, whoever. I would find them um, and I would say, hey, I'll tell you what, if I write you a small check, just a small one, uh, would you consider turning what you've just made into a company and maybe we can build it together? Um, ended up doing that about six times, not always with a check. Sometimes it was just my help and time and support. Um, ended up doing that six times and of those six ventures, only one failed, but one IPO'd, mm -hmm. one sold to a huge corporation. Um, so that's three. Uh, and the other three are still growing really strong. And 
um, I found my passion for helping weird humans create amazing things that they never really saw themselves. Um, and that's what founded The Rattle, my current company, which is essentially a studio for batshit crazy humans, mainly in the world of art and entertainment, to start to use the principles of entrepreneurship to like thrive in the outside mm. world. Um, I love it. I love it so much. It makes it sound like I always intended it linear jerk, which of course did not intend one bit. I but. don't worry. It's uh, never <laughs> linear. And we, we, we know that ourselves and uh, also our crowd out there, but you know, yeah. when you, when you talk about your, would you, would, where you use like crazy people, right? Like the, the outsiders and so like the feeling I had was that you arrived home And the terrace yeah. and I talk about it on our last check-in uh, about that sense of belonging. And that's what I felt from you. So I don't know whether I am trying to project it on you or whether that's that's something that, you know, is is true to you. Um, it, it, was, it was absolutely at the time, like very sincerely. Um, less so now. And that's not because I don't care for that category of human any less. It is that I just recognize that I'm changing, the things that I define mm. myself as or evolve and as my personal identity shifts my um kind of the the same gusto i had earlier on i don't have the same energy source that i did back then i now have to rely on a different energy source uh in order to put as much effort and passion and stuff into into what i do um which i think is true of every founder i don't think i'm unusual in that at all um but yeah at that time especially 2016 i was like Oh, I found my people again. This is amazing. Mm. Um, you know, it felt like, you know, after I came back from MIT, I was like, oh, I found those, I found another group of humans which make me feel the same way I did when I went to MIT in 2009. So yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Uh, sorry. No, I was just like, you actually brought me back into your, when you share with us the childhood experience and when you said that, hey, you know, there were the two groups, like the geeks or bullies and you yeah. you made your choice and you said that, you know, you finally felt like you you found your people, but you actually made me reflect even, even now about like, hey, I mean, it sounded very, like in some way similar to when you found your people at that time and maybe there is um you know, pattern that go through the life around finding a sense of belonging. But anyhow, not to do a I, therapy I actually, life. I actually want to challenge, not challenge, mm -hmm. and maybe that's not the right word, but I do want to dig a little bit into the first business that you talked about, Chris, where you are actually struggling. Because this <laughs> is the bit, and, 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 and in the context of finding your people, because you can find your people to start things with and do cool things with, but they're still not the people that you talk about the difficult stuff with. So when you were telling us, me in, in, in our conversation before about what you were facing towards the end of that business, uh, at home, not recognizing what was going on, you, you, because you create this artificial uh, worlds where the, the business world's going fine and the domestic world might not be going fine. Um, Do you mind sharing with us a little bit what went on, especially in the in the kind of final phases of your last business that you just very casually described as crash and burned? Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. Forgive me that if I if I haven't constructed a way of saying outside of just a private conversation, but um, I'll try. I'll try. Um, so I guess this the, this story has it has a little bit of a backstory, but I'll um I'll be brief with it. Um, 
So I, I got I got married for the first time. I'm 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 in my second marriage. I got married for the first time um, in 2009, just be- just before I went to America. And the reason I moved to America is because my wife at the time, um, she was like and is um, an extraordinary scientist, like absolute top of the pack scientist. Comes with all of the pros and cons of that life. Um, and she won something called the Welcome Fellowship, which is an incredibly rare, distinguished honor. So she could go anywhere she wanted for three or four years, fully funded, and do any research she wants, like completely whatever she wants. Mm. Um, and so she wanted to go to Heaven for Scientists at MIT. And so I, I went with her. And we, she told me on our wedding day. And so I was like, okay, cool, let's go, let's move. <laughs> and so that's the reason we went. It was Christmas Eve. 2009 we we're in our um kind of hotel at the time and she is like two or three in the morning and all of a sudden um she just wakes up and screams at the top of her lungs i was like what, what what's going on i didn't know it would be her but i just heard the scream and um i just heard a scream and then i saw from the corner of my eye she just collapsed and fell to the floor um obviously rushed straight to hospital all of that kind of stuff and she was diagnosed with a very rare disease, um, which uh, at, at the time, and I think still is now, is incurable. And um, it's a form of disease where blood vessels due to stress will burst, whether it's on your skin or in your lungs or in your intestines or in your heart. And so as an adult, if it bursts in the wrong place, you will die. <laughs> like, you, you will die. There's no... There's no ambiguity. And the mortality rate of this disease was horrific. Mm. Um, so she was diagnosed Christmas Eve, um, but she refused to quit being a scientist. And at that time, I didn't know that was good or bad. Um, and, um, you know, to her full credit, she's a wonderful, wonderful human. Um, she powered on. But what that meant is like every few months, that it would flare up again and straight to any is she going to live? Like, that's how I felt every time. Some of them were far less serious than others, of course. But um, there were moments where I'm like, I'm probably not going to see you again. <laughs> like, and it really filled my brain. And this was at the exact same time my co-founder and I said, hey, like, why don't, because I didn't have a job. It was like, why don't we start a company? Um, and I foolishly, like a moron, and this is the biggest, biggest mistake now I think I, I made is, the first company, Laboo, I was driven to make it. I can't speak for Richard, but I was driven to make it because um, my wife's condition was triggered by stress. Mm-hmm. And one of her ambitions, at least I believed at the time, was she wanted to be an author. <laughs> like, so I thought, okay, I don't know why I thought this and I still can't believe it. Like, I'm like, okay, if I, um, if I put all of my efforts into making life for authors easier, I can cure her. Mm. <laughs> like, it's mm. honestly, as fucked up as that sounds, that's mm. honestly how I felt. Forgive my language, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, that's genuinely what I thought. And I never told my co-founder that's the reason I was really driven to make the business. I didn't even tell my wife that's the reason I was driven to make the business, but it really was the reason I was driven. Like, did, I didn't you, did you know at that time? Do you think you knew at that time why you, yeah? yeah? Because, yeah? yeah, okay. Yeah, that was a conscious choice. I remember it distinctly. I remember thinking to myself, mm-hmm. keep going, you're going to fix her. 
like I kept that was a th I kept thinking it. I'm like, keep going. It's worth it. You can fix her. Um, obviously, it's ridiculous in hindsight, but now I recognize my mental health was utterly impaired pretty much from the beginning um, because that is not the thought of a rational human being. Um, like we all know that. It's like, of course, you're not going to fix her. Come on, it's like science, medicine will fix her. A changing of a lifestyle, recognizing the source of the issue will fix her. Not let's make her an author. Like that's not going to work. Mm. Um, but I convinced myself because I felt useless um, that if I carried on with that, life would get better. But um, she kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Her mental health uh, had challenges, obviously, uh, as, a, as a direct result of that disease. I had mental health challenges, which I didn't recognize at the time. And that had an enormous impact on my marriage. I mean, it is the reason the marriage self imploded. Um, and I, I, oh, oh, mm. I'm gonna say it, I have never said this. Um, oh, I just remember like, oh, it's February, 2013. I'm gonna say it, fuck it, I'm gonna do it. February, 2013. Um, where I remember coming, this is the this is the the moment where I realised I fucked up. I came home from from Labu. It was snowing. Um, I came home and walked into our apartment, and she wasn't there. And which I thought was weird because there was a big snowstorm. And I opened my um, <clears throat> my email, and uh, I had a message from her, just one line, which said you'll never see me again. Um, and she was gone. I thought she was dead. <laughs> wow. um, that's what I thought for like at least a week. Um, uh, I managed to track her down and thankfully she wasn't, but um, that was the point where I'm like, oh my word, I fucked up. <laughs> um, mm. And that was the point where my life turned around in many ways. So the marriage was a goner. There was no way I could recover from that. That was a goner. I tried, but I also messed up the recovery in many ways. Um, and um, yeah, that's when I started becoming obsessed with like, maybe I'm a bit broken. <laughs> like maybe I'm the one at fault here actually. Maybe I didn't realize that my impaired mental state is a is as much a cause as it is a symptom of both my company's like challenges and my relationships challenges. You know, unable to find a customer like it's nowhere near as important as someone's life. Of course, it's not. Um, but it's it's another symptom of me being unwilling to look at reality and marriage. Unwilling to look at the reality of where we were as human beings. Um, well, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So I'm still unpacking it, but it's... Um, of course. That, that happened. Wow. Well, thank um, you for, for being so honest and raw with us, really. Um, I would say a pleasure, but it's uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. I think we both, we both had a moment of... When you said when you opened the email that I could see bloody and I had the same experience where it was like was yeah. This... Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um it, it it sounded a little bit like a novel, 
to me. I, I mean, in no way am I, see, I don't want to simplify it. It's your life. Okay. You know? So please, I, I meant that with respect, but, but I think that was that sort of scale of, wow, like, okay, is this really how things can happen? But you know, the, the one thing that I, I'm thinking about is that, so you were quite aware that your intrinsic motivation for founding your first business was to hope help your wife at that time, right? Uh, save her. It's, in some way sort of contribute to her happy life existence in some way, I guess, obviously was connected to you and your meaning and reasoning. And I guess being in, in, on, on earth, what was happening with the business? Because at the, at the point of, okay, so the marriage doesn't work. The person for whom I thought that I'm doing this is gone. Can you tell us what was happening with the business at the same time? Yeah. Maybe where you were in that thinking. Yeah, so like, oh dear, like, again, a lot of this is now in hindsight, but um, I, I, I doubled down on my founder personality as opposed to, because we all carry different personalities to use in certain instances. That's just normal psychology. You know, this idea that we all have one personality is already, it's been disproven a hundred times. Um, it's all very contextual, um, but like, I didn't have any proper friends. Like I had founder friends, startup friends, work friends. Like when you make a company, you throw your entire existence into that thing. And um, that means every acquaintance you have is there's some small to lesser, to greater to lesser degree, there's some transaction involved whether you like it or not, it's like, mm. oh, they may be able to uh, introduce me to an investor or, oh, one day I might ask them to join my team or along those lines. Like it's, you always have that micro transaction in any relationship when you're building a company. And so when that part of my life deteriorated and our genuine friends felt like they had to pick a side, because they did, I didn't see that at the time either, but I do now, like they all had to pick a side. And you know, I was, I was, in hindsight, the aggressor, so to speak. I made our home life awful by being so doggedly determined to make a company work that I neglected the very person that I was trying to help. Um, and so, like, this, this kind of absence of friendships meant I doubled down on the personality of being an entrepreneur. So every, every pitch became twice as intense. Every founder relationship became even more transactional and I started without realizing it and I'm I can't believe I'm going to admit this either I started with a genuinely without realizing it and I forgive myself for this but I carried a lot of shame for a long time once I realized I, I now forgive myself for this I started lying like to make my life happier like people would tell me what's going on I'm like oh she's just at home you know just chilling out <laughs> and those lies started spilling into my work life so I started misrepresenting things that I've said or done in a work setting, which is awful. It's utterly awful. But I didn't know at the time that I was doing it. And now in hindsight, I'm like, oh, shit, you are broken, mate. Like, you should have stopped a long time ago. And so I carried on building the company, even raised another round, of, like significant round of capital and did all kinds of crazy things, um, which on the outside looked really impressive and positive but in the inside they're more PR value than they are business value um I ended up it came all came to a head in September of 2013 when my co-founder just 
basically brought it up with me and went, what the hell is going on? And I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, what is going on? Like, you are like a wrecking ball right now, just destroying things. Like you make something amazing, then you rip it to shreds. And I couldn't see any of that. Um, and our board at the time got involved and they were like, Chris, you gotta go. And I was just like, what? what are you talking about? I don't understand. And I genuinely didn't understand. And so I obviously became combative. I was like, no, I'm not going anywhere. Like, what are you talking about? And I just, don't be stupid. <laughs> and like, I'm not the one that's wrong. You're the one that's wrong. Mm. And like now in hindsight, obviously it's, it's a different story, but yeah, I um, not only alienated a lot of my personal friendships by not recognizing my own mental health. I then wrecked a lot of founder relationships and prox you know close proximity relationships but not recognizing my judgment was utterly impaired and my behavior became so toxic it was very nice mm. but it was toxic like I, I like to think i'm a nice guy even when i'm under pressure but it's it was toxic um like not being honest you know white lies and i was like that's ah, fine it's just a little white lie you know it's not 500 it's 450 and it's fine and you know stuff like that and yeah, it, it all came to a head and all compounded one after another until my co-founders and my board just went, you got to go. Um, so I did. And um, that was the journey, which has now taken me, oh, it's nine years and I still don't think it's over, um, of like really trying to understand the signals of when my judgment's impaired or when my relationships are in a bad way. Like, what are the external things I just now have to put to trust in my past experience that if I see them today, I've got to do something about it or I may end up in the same situation I found myself in 2013. Um, hmm. Yeah, sorry, I don't even know what I just said over the last few minutes. So um, I'm going to be led by you. <laughs> but with you, you, you shared with us very much what we actually want to hear that's the story we actually want to share with other founders with other entrepreneurs because you described in a very very vulnerable way how you acknowledge that there were signals and you chose not to see them and you got rid of the support mechanisms that you had which is community you alienated them, right? And I think it's 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 so important because this is one of the things we hear a lot, Chris. It's the signals were there. I was so caught up in the whirlwind that I just I couldn't see them. And if somebody yeah. told me here's a, here it is, I would just go, no, no, this is not what you're saying. It is right. So it takes, and it's in all fairness, you were lucky that your co-founder set you down and the board set you down and said. At least that's my take on this. But yeah. now looking back at this, I mean, you described the signals a little bit with uh, being being not truthful. And is there is there stuff you can look back now, as you say, that for the last nine years you've been trying to be more aware of these things? Um, are there things you felt experienced at the time that you now go, okay, if this happens, um, I need to be very alert because it's yeah, for sure. Um... I do want to caveat though that like since that point in time I've become academically obsessed with trauma yeah so like looking looking backwards and even at the time I was suffering cognitive dissonance that's the technical term mm -hmm. for it like I was fully 100% like textbook cognitive dissonance anyone said anything contrary to my belief system I'm like no, that's not true 
And that's different to confirmation bias. They're very different things. But cognitive dissonance, I just wasn't in, ingesting signals that did not confirm the belief that I wanted, um, even if I didn't recognize it was a want as opposed to a, 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 as opposed to a judgment. Um, but um, yeah, like there, there are things like, for example, my body changed, like physically changed. Um, so I went, I lost an insane amount of weight, like massive. And I know doctors will recognize that as a symptom of stress, but it's more than stress, it's trauma. Um, in the sense that your body, if my brain felt competent, my body was carrying a lot of the impacts of the changes in my hormones um, and the like, where I wasn't eating because my body was actually unwell. Yeah, my first signal is, if your body dramatically changes, loses or gains weight, you must respect that your mind is being affected just as much as your body. You have to. There's no, there's no ambiguity. It is undeniable. Um, <clears throat> and one of my favorite books, if anybody wants an academic um, kind of confirmation of all this, is The Body Keeps the Score. It's a very well-known book, but um, it is the oh, most yeah, accessible book on trauma. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, and that, that changed a lot of things for me. Um, so that was the first signal. But the kind of, the, the, the second signal for me, like I would say, you know, like not being honest or truthful or whatever should be a signal. But at the time mm. I wasn't recognizing it. So yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just yeah. what it was. I think to me is what I should have spotted was the way other people started interacting with me. That, that is, that is a the clear you go and meet people. And they, their first thing is, are you all right? You like, You've got to take that in and acknowledge that somebody has observed you are different to how you were before. And that kept happening over and over and over again. They were like, are you all right? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And then the pitch, pitch Chris came on and founder entrepreneur Chris came on. They're like, oh, okay, cool, carry on. Um, that happens almost every single time I met people. Um, yeah. And for me and yeah, there's, that, that, was a, that was a huge signal. You talked a little bit about that led yeah. you to, to seeking help. And for us, it's also very important that we get uh, our guests to share what were the things that they found helped them when they realized that they need to do something about it. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, like in, in my case at that moment in time, at least, because I, I, I still didn't... I'm, I'm a scientist, at least that's, I'm, I'm kind of trained to think like a scientist. So at that time, I wasn't armed with the knowledge to have known to have gone for help. Um, so the reason I went for help was not because I recognized I need help in the more classic sense. I actually went because I tracked down my ex-wife and uh, I was like, I want to make that work. I want to, I want to fix that. And I said, okay, what's going to help me? I'm going to see a psychiatrist to see if they can make me better at rebuilding that relationship. Mm. Um, whereas what that, what that professional actually noticed is that I was suffering deep tra trauma. And instead of trying to help me with my relationship, he just focused on me. Um, and so I, I went into help for the wrong reason, but I got the right. Help. Um, and yeah, so I cannot, 
like, I did do some, I did ask for help in the wrong ways. I do remember doing that. For example, um, when I, when I f sensed that my professional world was tumbling, um, I went to like professionals as in my peers, as in other founders and other entrepreneurs for help. I alienated my board. So I went to my board's friend to say, how do I get my board member back? Um, turns out that she didn't like me. So it obviously wasn't going to get the right advice. Mm. Um, and so I went, I went to the wrong places by asking healthy versions of myself what I should be doing. The healthy versions of myself, particularly my peers, startup people, you know, they reject the concept, especially at that time. They reject the concept of not being okay. Like it's just taboo. Um, I should have got help from people who I now understand, like empathize with trauma, frankly. And there are subsets of founders who do, and there are subsets of lawyers who do, subsets of investors and enablers who do, but they don't self-identify very much. Like they don't say, hey, by the way, I'm the kind of person who's good with trauma. Like I will empathize with people who struggle. That is not something you see on a LinkedIn profile. Um, they do exist. They're just, yeah, they're just very hard to find. Mm. Um, there is something that you just described, Chris, which is you're asking people to help you and give you perspective who are probably putting a lot of effort not acknowledging that they're going through something similar. Maybe so, yeah. Because yeah. there's a lot of people out there who just keep up the facade because that narrative, that glorification of the hustle is still there. Still out For there. sure. So one of the things we're fighting is, we're trying to kind of break that, is it's okay to acknowledge that I'm... Because you can create community and empathy by just being real with people right mm -hmm. but yeah it's and, and 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 sorry i'm a little bit sensitive to this because i'm at this crazy event in las vegas where i'm surrounded by people who do what you say the transactional piece everybody's there on a mission there's no conversation which is just a conversation between two people it's all about Absolutely. so but you know uh, the so thing Paris, yeah that i'm thinking both of you really is that Whilst that might be true for portion of people that we, uh, and I'm saying we in some way, we might have an awareness and we we decide consciously to put it, you know, in, in sort of, we pause on it, we don't act on it, we don't recognize it. But what Chris, you described is that at that period of life, you had, so you were, now you know it was cognitive dissonance. So you were not aware. So I'm thinking there's a, portion of people and and many entrepreneurs out there who are in that phase of life and they are experiencing mental disorder of sort right which doesn't allow them to actually act on things right so i i just feel like there is that important recognition of that because um sometimes i feel like i even judge myself on oh i should have like but at some point and this is where you said like this is where actual expert helped you to understand um so i was curious because when i learned that you know you are one passionate but also you went through a trauma experience it's something that i also am deeply curious about and i'm wondering how if you can share how useful it has been for you to actually go into that space of understanding what the source of your trauma has been and healing it or working on healing it for the healthy future 
right? And for, as you said before, for certain things, hopefully not repeating and you being able better equipped to maybe act on them. But um, yeah, that that's something that I'm curious about. And just, mm-hmm. just FYI, today I was listening to a conversation with Gabor Mate, which is one of the uh, sort of scientists on, on trauma. And sure. he, he described the trauma actually comes from a word... I believe it's a, from a Latin word. I can't remember the actual. Greek. Is it Greek? It's yeah, Greek. I thought. I'm sorry. Always. The meaning of it. The meaning of it is actually wound. So how do you? We need to heal those. So so how important was it for you to work on healing that trauma? Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's like a lot of a lot of what I think today. I'm not entirely sure when I first thought it so it's hard for me to to give a linear like hey at this point I realized this and then this occurred and I realized that like our minds don't work like that like we craft stories that's how we form memories um and a lot of those stories are not designed to be accurate they're designed to be kind of things you build upon um which sounds ironic but it's just it's the way our, our minds work um but uh yeah like shortly after that kind of medical intervention so to speak um september 2013 um that's when i was like oh i'm a scientist a scientist has told me somebody i respect because their academic background told me that i'm suffering trauma what's trauma mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it just snowballed without me realizing it yet. um so richard wiseman i first dove into in, in, in you know into like a really serious degree and then I went to all of his references and started reading all the science papers that he would reference. And that then led to Body Keeps the Score and that, that led to William James and it led to all kinds of other things. For me, I'm, the, I'm a type of human where I must understand how things work. I'm driven for that. Like I, I always am. Like I like solving problems because I want to understand how the problem came about in the first place, deconstruct it and then um, so I used like what I loved doing to help me understand what happened. And I didn't know at the time, at least I don't think I knew at the time, that that would also be healing me, so to speak. Um, so it wasn't necessarily a conscious effort to heal. It was more a desire to understand, which we now know is part of the healing process of trauma. Um, but um, so, yeah, I ended up, um, yeah, as I say, obsessively understanding trauma and I started to build that science into every single thing that I did in my professional life whether it was venture building or who I'm going to work with in building these projects or teaching at UCL and at MIT I would and at Harvard I would like bring psychology into every single lesson Um, I even started writing a book with a friend of mine um, which are intended to be psychological one-liners which make you re- imagine a a, an event that might be happening in your professional life and these are really silly things like we're calling it the 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 kind of working title of this book is um we're just trying to sell you a book um because most ex-founders only write books because they want to sell you a book like they're just like pretending they've got some advice but actually they're just reworking other people's advice um so we're just like fuck it let's just be honest we're just trying to sell you a book and that immediately makes you think about the book differently. And then inside the book are like these one-liners with like crazy graphics, um, things like, you don't deserve a CTO. And you're like, 
huh? Women. I never thought whether I deserved <laughs> um, or like corporations are like aircraft carriers. Like, yeah, they're slow to turn, but fuck, they can launch planes. <laughs> and you're like, oh yeah, actually they can. <laughs> and so that there are all these kind of things which um, mm. I digress. Um, these um, these practices help me um, help me realize what went on. Um, and I do think there was a lot of luck in just that I happen to love trying to understand how things work in order to um, understand my own situation that led to now this hindsight, which I don't think I would have had otherwise. So I'm curious, Chris, like, do you feel that today the motivations of your important decisions in life, such as writing a book, founding another venture, working with these and those people, are they coming from more healthier place? or a place that feels authentic to you, genuine, something you are in peace with that is nurturing to you? That is a great question. Um, I'll be honest, and I, I, first of all, I don't really think about it to that degree. Well, I'm about to start another venture because I just can't help it. Um, but I'm not thinking as I start it, I'm not thinking what's the best for my mental health? Like what are the conditions that is gonna make this? A good thing for my mental health and I'm, those aren't really even considerations um but i have built habits over the last kind of eight to ten years um which have built a better structure for me to work within so to speak mm-hmm. you know these are things like um recognizing signals so you know the if i sense my weight dramatically changing i've got to do some interventions into my mind to figure out whether that's healthy or whether it's just the fact that i really love pringles so like really got to understand like what mm. what's going on but I use those signals or mm-hmm. as has happened previously over the last five years friends and family going are you all right and when it, I remember in um just uh, as the pandemic started you know I, I put on my you know fat because now this is with the rattle my current company um I put on that CEO face with my so did my co-founder John another John John's everywhere um but uh at, see I put the CEO hat on and went we're gonna be fine let's do this thing yeah woo hustle um at, at the beginning of the pandemic but I started having dramatic weight changes my now wife who's a brilliant human being I don't know how she puts up with me um yeah her and her family and our friends started going are you all right mm. <laughs> and I'm like oh that's one of my signals. Got it. Got All it. right. Got I got to do something. Mm-hmm. So and the signals um, became stronger. That's what I'm taking from it. So signals became stronger. Your ability to recognize them and even it seems like willingness to act on some of them uh, yeah. for your own sake and for your health. And it's, I mean, I mean, I'm just reflecting, right? Which we do also like bringing as we always humans do, bringing ourselves into this, you know, with this ego set. <laughs> but uh um, I do ask myself quite a lot, like why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I hear that even sometimes that can be counterproductive or not healthy because you can start cycling and stuff. But I was just curious whether that's something that you do, given the experience that you had previously, let's say the, the motivation to start your first business, which was to help your wife, which ultimately 
well, I'm not to say whether that was healthy or not, right? But um, I hear you. So it, with, in your case, it is really about, it seems like it is about the strong signals and the ability to recognize them. Um, that for me, yes. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know, I, I won't be the same. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. I had another reflection in that, which is, um, we haven't really acknowledged it, but your curiosity to understand, to deconstruct and reconstruct and all that also shows one of the things that we feel really passionate about, which is we want people to learn to develop the ability to self-reflect, mm. understanding how you tick and what you need to make sense of it. Not everybody needs to understand how it works, but people who know that they don't need that then can deal with their own way. So it's this ability to go, yeah, I've been around for a bit. I had some experiences. I know that there's certain things that I need to allow me to look for help, to allow me to recognize the mm -hmm. signals. And you've mm -hmm. been in, indirectly very, very explicit about this, <laughs> but we just, I just wanted us to acknowledge it. I think it's, it's so hard. Like all of this is so hard. Like a lot of, a lot of mental health, particularly in the world of entrepreneurship and founders. Like I, I am a reluctant founder. I don't, I don't identify as a founder. I identify as a creator. I make stuff. Like at every possible turn, I either need to break something and remake it or just make something from just first principles, like whether it's food or music or startups or tech or whatever. Like I, I, I'm just obsessed with learning the tools of making things and then making something, even if it's shit, like just the, act of making it but I'm I also recognize that you know self-esteem what I said at the start like that is that is the core of a lot of mental health issues is and is this kind of this like we have got to untangle the difference between confidence and self-esteem they are so different such 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 different things and so much attention is on confidence which isn't a bad thing but very little attention is on self-esteem. And mm -hmm. my self-esteem comes from making something, watching somebody consume it, and they tell me back, that was great, <laughs> because I am an externally validated human which developed when I was really young. I cannot change that, or at least I cannot change it easily. Mm -hmm. um, I am externally validated and I'm good at making things. And so unless I'm making something, I will not be happy. Um, and that is something I lost sight of in my first company. It's only the last three or four years that I've really recognized how important that is to my self-esteem as opposed to my confidence that I now feel like a more rounded, informed human around my personal mental health. There's science and there's academic stuff, but the way that it applies to an individual, um, they're not always copy and paste. Like you can't yeah, yeah, do yeah. that in some cases. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, that's it's a beautiful way to to maybe wrap up. But I, the way why, the reason why I'm saying it's beautiful because you you brought us where we started, and uh, and it felt like really sort of really awesome cycle, right? Or around, and you brought us back to a place of having a healthy relationship with ourselves. You brought us back in a cycle to a beautiful place, which um, is about really building that healthy relationship with yourself, or for uh, for everybody with ourselves and i think something my therapist shared with me which is about really recognizing and learning what your resources are so when it's really hard to stay in that place 
what is it that you can lean back on or bring as power, right? To hold you from the back. And I, that's what I heard from you to say that um, you have a bunch of those and creating is one of those. So it made me smile. It made me smile towards the end. And it was a wonderfully vulnerable conversation. Thank you very much, Chris. And Nectaria, thank you for bringing Chris, you know, to the, to naked and, and to all of us. So yeah, lovely. Thank you both. It was, it was a journey. Uh, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Naked by The Future Farm, where entrepreneurship is stripped to its vulnerable core. To learn more about our work, sign up to our newsletter or visit thefuturefarm.co, where you can also apply to be a Naked guest. And remember, subscribe, follow and rate Naked to help share it with the world.